Thank you so much for joining us for Ankeny Gospel Church Podcast. On this podcast, you can find sermons, classes, and other resources that continue to invite us into the mission of Jesus and the journey of faith. We hope this is a blessing to you, and if we can help you in any way, feel free to reach out. Hello, my name is Victoria, and I will be reading from Psalm 104, 1 through 105, 1 through 4. Give thanks to the Lord, call on his name, proclaim his deeds among the peoples. Sing to him, sing praise to him, tell all about his wondrous works. Boast in his holy name, let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Seek the Lord and his strength, seek his face. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's exchange greetings this morning. Good morning. Thank you, Tori and Grace, for leading us in song. Thank you, Vic, for reading the scripture. Um, I want to continue this posture of worship together um, through prayer. So let's pray to our Father together. Our Father, Your ways are higher than our ways. Your thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And we enter this time and this space with confidence in Jesus' work on the cross. And we also enter this time and this space and we enter your presence with humility. Father, you are high and lifted up. There is none like you. Nations rise and fall. Kingdoms are shattered. But you are unmoved. Your kingdom knows no end and your sovereignty reaches to the ends of the earth. God, in our present moment right now, we ask that you would show us your glory. We ask that we would see you, that you would reveal yourself to us in new ways. Jesus, we pray that you would be our Lord. You would be our king, you would be our sovereign, and that we would submit to you. And Holy Spirit, we ask that you would do the work that you promise to do, which is to soften our hearts, to teach us, to convict us, to guide us, to draw us, to comfort us, to advocate for us. We know, Lord, that we don't have to go anywhere. We don't have to go to a mountain to worship you, but we worship you in spirit and in truth. I pray, Father, that that would be true of us this morning. That you would hear our prayers. You would be delighted in us, your children. And we pray with the psalmist 
And we ask that the words of our mouths and the meditation of our hearts, the thoughts and intentions of our hearts would be acceptable in your sight. For you, O Yahweh, are our rock and our redeemer. Be with us, we pray. We pray all this in your son's name and by the power of the Holy Spirit. And all God's people said, amen. We're just gonna jump right into it today. Neil Cole has this quote and he says this, ultimately, each church will be evaluated by only one thing, its disciples. Your church is only as good as its disciples. It doesn't matter how good your praise, preaching, programs, or property are. If your disciples are passive, needy, consumeristic, and not moving in the direction of radical obedience, your church is not good. How's that for a start to a sermon? At the end of the day, when the Lord Jesus returns in glory with the sword in his mouth, he will judge the church by one thing and one thing only, her disciples. Doesn't matter how loud or quiet our singing is, it doesn't matter how profound or simple our preaching is, it doesn't matter the amount of programs we put on or the amount of people who show up to those programs, it doesn't matter how big our building is, or in this case, if we even have a building, all that matters is the kinds of disciples that are being made. What kinds of disciples are being made? All that matters is the character of the disciples, the maturity of the disciples, the resiliency of the disciples, the compelling lifestyle of the disciples, the radical obedience of the disciples. What kind of disciples are we becoming here at Ankeny Gospel Church? And I promise you that that's a scarier question for me and the leadership of AGC than it is for you. It should be a scary question for you, right? What kind of disciple are you personally becoming? Are you becoming a disciple who's passive, needy, and consumeristic? Or are you becoming a disciple who's filled with the love of God and moving in the direction of radical obedience? It's scary for you, but it's also scary for us as pastors and deacons who serve and shepherd this church because we are held accountable for one thing and one thing only, our disciples how we lead and serve and guide this church to make disciples. C.S. Lewis says it another way, and this quote will be on the screen as well. If the church is not making disciples, then all the cathedrals, clergy, missions, sermons, even the Bible are a waste of time. The Bible is, I'm gonna say this, the Bible is a waste of time if the church is not making disciples. I didn't say that, C.S. Lewis said it, so you can get mad at him, not at me. The church has never changed its mission in 2,000 years. Matthew 28, Jesus says what? His final words to the disciples are what? Go and make disciples, not converts, not people to assimilate in your church's DNA. Make disciples, baptizing them in the triune name of the Father, Son, and Spirit, and teaching them to actually do what Jesus taught us to do. Now, in most American contexts, make disciples means get more people in the door. It means get more people to come to church. It means get more, as my one professor said, noses and nickels or butts and seats. It means get more people to mark, uh, to, so that they can put a check on the Christian box in a poll. The thinking is this, is that if more people are in the room of a church, then more people have the chance to hear the gospel, if it's even preached, and then more people are becoming disciples. Ergo, a lie is that the bigger the church, the more disciples. It sounds great, it sounds normal, 
in our contexts of bigger and better and upward mobility in America. But the problem arises when you actually start to read the Bible because Jesus didn't think that more people meant more disciples. And he definitely didn't make disciples the same way that we think about making disciples. In fact, Jesus didn't try to get more crowds. He actually avoided the crowds on every other page of the Bible, of the Gospels. Jesus didn't make things available and understandable to all. In fact, he said that he talks in parables so that people won't understand him. Jesus wasn't concerned with the seeker. He told the rich guy to leave. He told the guy with a dead dad to skip the funeral. And when his own mom and brothers came to get his attention, he said, who are they to me? They're nothing to me if they don't do the will of my father in heaven. And no, children, you cannot say that to your parents. Jesus didn't care if people left him. In the gospel according to John, Jesus said to this huge crowd, you have to eat my body and you have to drink my blood, which to us sounds like, oh, communion. But then, can you just imagine somebody saying that? Eat my body and drink my blood. A lot of people left him. He turned to the 12 and he said, there's the door. Do you want to leave me too? On top of that, if church history and looking at the current state of modern evangelicalism has taught us anything, it's that more people do not mean more disciples. Because, as Neil Cole said in that quote earlier, if disciples are passive, needy, consumeristic, and not moving in the direction of radical obedience, then your church is not good. So it seems that Jesus has a different way of doing things and making disciples than we do. It seems that he had a different standard, a different diagnostic tool He was speaking a different language than often a lot of the church growth gurus are speaking. So there's two questions then. If we look at our current state of making disciples and we look at Jesus and the Bible and making disciples, there are two questions. The first is this, how can you tell if a church is making disciples? How do we know? Because it's clearly not more people. It can't be from numbers alone. And not only that, but what kind of disciples are you making? What kind of disciples is the church making? Are you making consumeristic disciples? Needy disciples? Passive disciples? Or are you making disciples, are we making disciples who are foreshadowing eternity? These questions on the screen right now and more like them is what we as a leadership team here at Ankeny Gospel Church have been thinking and praying through for not quite a year, but almost a year now. Myself, Janet, Nate, and Tom, as well as some of you, the team leads and the small group leaders, we have been thinking and praying through these questions because we know that it is our responsibility, more than it just being our responsibility, we want to shepherd well. It's actually our desire for our body that we create disciples who are being filled with the Spirit of God, looking more like Jesus, not less like Jesus. So, we've come down to this. Our desire for us at Ankeny Gospel Church is to continually become disciples of presence, of formation, and of mission. At Ankeny Gospel Church, we want our desire, our aim, our vision for what this is, is to become disciples of presence, formation, mission, who seek the presence of God, who are formed into the image of Jesus and who live on mission for the renewal of our 
city. This desire, this vision, and keep this on the screen for a while because I want it to sink in. This desire, this vision, this picture of the type of church that we want to become, it answers those questions. How do we know we're making disciples and what kinds of disciples are we making? Are you individually becoming a person who is continually seeking the presence of God? who's continually being formed into the image of Jesus and who's continually becoming a person who lives on mission for the renewal of our city. Are we, corporately, as a church, are we becoming disciples who seek the presence of God in everything, who are formed into the image of Jesus by, our, by the truth that we put into our brains, by our relationships, by our practices, and who live on mission for the renewal of a city. A quick word on each before we dive into presence for today. By the way, this is a three-week series. It's a vision series. This week, we're gonna talk about presence. Next, we're gonna talk about formation. The week after that, we're gonna talk about mission. From here on out, every single year, at least once a year, we are gonna stop and we're gonna remind ourselves of this. Presence, formation, mission. So sometime next year, we're gonna have a three-week series. Guess what it's gonna be on? Becoming Disciples of Presence, becoming disciples of formation, and becoming disciples of mission, who seek the presence of God, are formed in the image of Jesus, and live on mission for the new of a city. And guess what, the year after that, we're gonna have a three-week series, guess what it's gonna be on? Presence, formation, mission. Becoming disciples of presence, formation, mission. I'm gonna talk about a quick word on each, then we're gonna have a few caveats, then we're gonna talk about mission, and then next week we're gonna talk about, I'm sorry, we're gonna talk about presence, then next week we're gonna talk about formation. Are we becoming disciples who seek the presence of God in everything we do? Matthew 8, uh, 5, 8 says, blessed are the pure in heart for they will what? See God. Are we becoming people who can see God continually? Guys, everything is spiritual. I don't know if you know that. Everything is spiritual. Are we seeing God in every conversation that we're having, in every interaction, in every drive to work, in every class that we're in? Are we seeking the presence of God? Are we becoming people who can pray without ceasing and that doesn't sound like a burden? Who are in constant conscious communion with the one in whom we live and move and have our being? That is the God that we serve. We can't do a single thing without him. Are we becoming people who can seek the presence of God in everything? Formation. Are we becoming disciples who are being formed into the image of Jesus? Spiritual formation is not a Christian thing, it is a human thing. Every single one of us are being formed we're all being formed into somebody. The question isn't if we're being formed, the question is who or what are we being formed by? Another word for disciple is follower. Are we following Jesus? Because if we're following Jesus, we're gonna be formed into his image. Do we have practices, do we have rhythms, do we have uh, space in our lives to fill our mind with the truth of scripture, to be in community with one another? and to practice the, the, the life that Jesus has in our lives to counter the cultural formation that is attacking our hearts and our minds. Are we becoming disciples of formation? And then finally, are we becoming disciples who live on mission for the renewal of our city? Guys, I love this one. I'm bummed that I can't preach on this one. Nate's preaching on this in two weeks. I can't preach on it. I say, say that like you're like, like twisting my arm or something. Nate's preaching on this in two weeks and I'm really excited about it. But God is making all things new currently, period. He's making all things new, and the King of kings and Lord of lords, the one who we call Lord and submit to daily, has seen empire after empire, nation after nation, people group after people group rise and fall, and he's still on the throne, and he's still making all things new. He's renewing our lives. When you submit to Jesus' lordship, and you say, I repent and I believe in you, when you submit to him, he's continually renewing your life. He's renewing our communities. 
He's renewing our cities. He's renewing our world. The plan, God's plan for your life isn't to take you out of persecution and suffering. It's actually to partner with you. God's already doing it. God is already at work in hearts, in minds, in cities, in governments. His plan for us is for us to see God, be formed into his image, and actually partner with him to bring about the renewal and the redemption of all things. This is what our desire is, to become disciples of presence, formation, and mission. This is where we're going. If you're a member of AGC, of Ankeny Gospel Church, which I'll get to membership again in a minute, If you're a member of AGC, our unashamed desire and goal and aim and vision for our lives is that we want to become disciples of presence, formation, and mission who seek the presence of God, are formed into the image of Jesus, and live on mission for the renewal of our city. Now, how we doing? I am barely halfway through my intro, so we got a lot of ground to cover. Doing good? Can I get some head nods at least? Okay, awesome. A couple things need to be said before we dive into the presence of God for this week. So before we begin, I want, I want to just have four little caveats, I guess, for this. First is this is for Ankeny Gospel Church, okay? This, this vision, pre- becoming disciples of presence, formation, mission, is for Ankeny Gospel Church. We're not doing this for all other churches. You know, the, the Lord and the Spirit is guiding other churches in their way, but this is for us. We believe that the church is made up of disciples, so if you're here today and you are not a disciple, you are not a follower of Jesus, you are not a believer, we are so glad you're here. You are welcomed here and you are loved here, but honestly, this talk is not for you because the church is made up of disciples. So you get a peek into what the church believes, what Christians believe, what we're about. And membership, so, so the church is made up of disciples and membership is for the pastors and deacons to know who is in the flock and who is not. Because as I mentioned earlier, we are held accountable and responsible for how we serve and shepherd this church. So we have the list of members of Ankeny Gospel Church. We have the list of members when we pray for you guys by name, when we think about uh, uh, the philosophy of small groups. We have you guys, the list of members, we have you guys in mind We have you guys in mind as members when we talk about next equipping hour classes, when we plan events, when we talk about kids ministry and youth ministry. So if you're a regular attender of this church and you're not a member, again, you're welcomed here. You're loved here. We're glad you're here. But also this talk is not for you. This is for the members of Ankeny Gospel Church. And quite frankly, you're really missing out because we don't care about members to like, you know, boost our numbers. This isn't about noses and nickels. This is about becoming disciples together who seek the presence of God, are formed in the image of Jesus, and live on mission for the renewal of the city. So first thing is this is for AGC. Second thing, becoming. This presence, formation, and mission is not a destination. It is a journey. The Christian life is not a sprint. It is a marathon. It is a journey. We don't get to say like, oh, I sought the presence of God today. Check, now onto formation and mission. It's not how it works. Rather, we know that there are principalities and powers and forces of darkness working against us to turn our eyes away from God and towards the things of this world. And we know that you become what you behold. You look like what you look at. And so this is a process of continually becoming people who are growing in seeking the presence of God, who are being formed, being formed. It's a continual thing, being formed for our entire lives into the image of Jesus so that we look more like him day after day 
after day and who are continually living radically selfless lives, partnering with God with the work that he is doing in our midst. So this is a process, this is not a destination. Third, God's image, not our own. This is not an assimilation into a church DNA. I say that because there are a lot of churches that are really good at forming you into their own image and not into the image of Jesus. We don't care about that. We don't care if you like get AGC's, you know, like DNA, whatever that means. You know why? Because in a thousand years, AGC will not exist. And we know that because Paul's churches that he planted a thousand years later did not exist. You know what will exist in a thousand years? The Lord and his bride. We don't care if you, we don't care about Ankeny Gospel Church's name. We care about becoming disciples who seek the presence of God because God isn't going anywhere. Who are formed into the image of Jesus because we want to devote our lives wholly to him and who live on mission because God's at work in our midst. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of if we can see it. And then finally, number four, before we begin, this is still my intro, before we begin, uh, this is mutually inclusive. I googled, right before I wrote this down, I googled, what's the opposite of mutually exclusive? And this came up. I was like, oh, that makes sense. Duh. Uh, mutually inclusive. In other words, uh, presence, formation, and mission, we believe, work together and they can't work apart from each other. So there's this little image uh, that we're gonna put up on the screen. Presence, formation, mission. We believe that one, if, if you take outside one of these things, it doesn't work. Example, if you are becoming a disciple of presence and formation, if we live with presence and formation, right, but we have no mission, like we're seeking the presence of God and we're being formed by our mind and by Bible study and by community, but we don't have any mission at all, what are we gonna become? We're gonna become, we're gonna become spiritually selfish we're gonna become a holy huddle. Because we're like, yeah, we got God and we've got our routines and we're good to go, but you know, well, the world's just going away so we don't need to do that. No, that's what the Pharisees did. Presence and formation with no mission doesn't work. If we live with formation and mission, but no presence, as in we're being formed continually in our thoughts, in our words, in our deeds, and we're going out and we're doing, we are living for God, but we do not have God with us, you know what we become? Brainless zealots. We're gonna become cynical evangelists because we think we're better than everybody because we don't have God humbling us and we're living on mission. And then finally, if we live with presence and mission but we have no formation, this is what I call the, the church camp model. They hype you up at the presence of God and then they send you out on mission but there's no, oftentimes there's no formation. By the way, I love church camps. I was saved at a church camp. This is not a diss against church camps. But oftentimes you have a week-long experience of just soaking in the presence of God, and then they say, now go and do likewise, but you have nothing forming your thoughts, your minds, your habits, your heart, then you're just gonna become brainless zealots pursuing a mission that we know nothing about. So this is mutually inclusive. We can't have two or three, uh, two, one or two of these without all three of these. We want to become disciples of presence, formation, and mission, who at the same time are seeking God and his wisdom and his word and his son at the same time are being formed by the way we think, what we listen to, how we live, how we act, how we move, and at the same time are living intentionally selfless lives on mission for the renewal of our city. John Tyson says this, if we only pursue discipleship that we're comfortable in and familiar with, then we commit to being spiritually immobilized and deformed. I don't wanna become spiritually immobilized and deformed. I wanna become a holistic disciple. I wanna look more like Jesus. 
So our desire at AGC is to become disciples of presence, formation, and mission. I hope you guys get red in the face for how many times I say this. Now, intro over. That's the introduction. Now we can get to the good stuff because I'm itching to open the scriptures. Today we're gonna talk about the presence of God. What does it mean to seek the presence of God in everything that we do? Each week we're gonna be doing a biblical theology, a biblical survey of this theme, presence, formation, and mission from Genesis to Revelation. So first of all, uh, if you want to turn to, oh, actually first of all, first of all, uh, I am gonna be turning to a lot of passages of scripture today. They're all gonna be on the screen. So if you wanna like be writing notes, you don't, you don't have to, all that to say is you don't have to flip to each of the passages I'm gonna be, to, uh, gonna be looking at. But if you want to, you can. Um, so that was, first of all, first of all. Now, first of all, what is the presence of God? Well, this is a really cool um, little factoid. The, the, the words in Hebrew, uh, there's one word in Hebrew, and we have two words in English, and the word presence in Hebrew, the presence of God, is the same word as face, somebody's face, which makes sense, right? When you are in somebody's presence, oftentimes you can see their face. If I'm on the phone with somebody, I wouldn't say I'm in their presence, why? Because I'm not face to face with them. If I'm at virtual reality is like a weird like, are you in their presence, are you not in their presence, who knows? But I would say no, you're not, because when you're in somebody's presence, odds are you can see their face. So, so whenever you see in the Hebrew scriptures, whenever you see the word face, and whenever you see the word presence, it's the same word. So seek the face of God, seek the presence of God. We just read that in Psalm 105.4. Seek his face continually. What does that say? Seek his presence continually. Now we know from scripture and orthodox theology that God is omnipresent, right? Which means that God is everywhere. Psalm 139 says, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? In other words, you can't. But we also know from scripture that we can run from God. God's presence can be made manifest in certain areas over against other areas. And we know from scripture that God can take his presence away from us. Think about uh, Genesis three. Actually, we're gonna turn there. Genesis three, this is the first time where we see the presence of God, verse eight. Basically what happened was this. Adam and Eve are in the garden and what do we have in Genesis one and two? In Genesis one and two, we uh, see God and his presence are with his people. God is fully with his people. That's the beginning of the story. There is no place where Adam and Eve went where God's presence wasn't there. They were walking with him, they were talking with him. God's presence was perfectly with his people. Genesis three, we see the serpent deceive Eve. She looks at the fruit, she desires it, she takes it, she gives it to her husband, he ate it, and it says in verse seven that they, the eyes of both of them were opened. They realized they were naked, so they made clothes for themselves, and then we get to verse eight. Look at Genesis three, verse eight, and this will be on the screen. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of Yahweh God walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze. Excuse me. And they hid from the presence of Yahweh God among the trees of the garden. Now if you're looking at the CSB, the word presence is not in there, which I think is a huge missed opportunity for CSB because the word presence is right there in the Hebrew. What did Adam and Eve do? when they sinned, they hid from the presence of God. The man and his wife heard God, which by the way, 
In order to hear what somebody sounds like when they're walking, you have to be with them for a long time. And then they hid from God among the trees. Genesis 1 and 2, they didn't have to seek the presence of God because God was always there. Then sin enters, and what happens? They hid from the presence of God. In other words, listen clearly, sin keeps you from seeing God, period. If you have unconfessed, unrepentant, undealt with sin in your life, you will not be able to experience the presence of God in your life because you will be hiding. The world, the devil, and the flesh are constantly pulling our eyes down to look at the forbidden fruit instead of looking at God. Why do we need to seek the presence of God? Because sin will always keep us from God. If we are not seeking the presence of God, we will be just like Adam and Eve. Now, I'm not saying that, you know, if Adam and Eve didn't look at the fruit and then they didn't sin, that, that, that's not what I'm saying. That's a rabbit trail. But what I am saying is that sin will keep us from the presence of God. Why do we need to become disciples of presence? Because sin is constantly at our door saying, look at me. Do you really think that, you think God has your best interest in mind? Oh, no, no, he doesn't. You should take matters into your own hands. You become what you behold. You look like what you look at. Are you looking at the forbidden fruit or are you looking at the face of God? That's Genesis 3. Next, Exodus 33. This is probably one of my favorite passages when it comes to the presence of God. In Exodus 33, by way of context, Moses had delivered the Israelites out of Egypt they, the 10 plagues happened. They went through the Red Sea. Now they're in the wilderness. They've been in there for some time. They go to Mount Sinai. The presence of God, by the way, comes in a cloud and thunder and lightning at the top of this mountain. All the people are terrified. They back away. They say, we don't want to go near the presence of God because why, by the way? Because of their sin. And so they send Moses up. Moses is like, okay, cool. While he's up there, what happens? Exodus 32 Aaron and company, they decide to make a golden calf and they start worshiping an idol and they say, look, this is the God who took us out of the land of Egypt. Moses comes down, he gets really upset, all this stuff, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, I shouldn't have said blah, blah, blah. That's a really important story and it's really, really good. Anyway, we get to Exodus chapter 33 and it says this. Um, the Lord, Yahweh, spoke to Moses, go up from here. You and the people that you brought up out of the land of Egypt, which is interesting because def Jesus or God definitely did it, to the land I promised Abraham, to the land I promised Isaac and Jacob, saying, I will give it to your offspring. I will send, this is the Lord speaking, I'll send an angel ahead of you, and the angel is gonna drive out the Canaanites, Amorites, Hethites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. Verse three, go up to a land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go with you because you are a stiff-necked people. What does sin do? Removes us from the presence of God. The Lord said to Moses, look Moses, I'll give you what you want, the promised land. I'll give you, I'll even, I'll even drive out all the enemies. You don't even have to have Joshua to do it. I'll send an angel ahead of you and he'll drive out all the enemies. You just walk in and you take the land, but I'm not going with you. What does Moses say? Next slide. Eventually, Moses actually talked to the Lord and they were meeting face to face in this tent of meeting that Moses built. And then finally, verse 14, the Lord replied, okay, okay, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. And then Moses says this, if your presence does not go, 
Moses responded to him, don't make us go up from here. A verse that you've probably read and skipped over. Do you realize the significance of what Moses is just saying? Imagine Moses, put yourself in Moses' shoes. Born into, adopted into royalty, right, in Egypt. Raised that way. You murder a man. You flee to the wilderness. You become a shepherd. You get a family, have a few kids. God tells you to go back to Egypt. You do, begrudgingly. Then God does all these 10 plagues and you see the mighty and awesome deeds and the strong arm of the Lord God. You deliver Israel out of Egypt. You cross the Red Sea. What happens? The Israelites start complaining immediately. And in fact, they're not just complaining. They're actually blaming you. They blame Moses for all this stuff. What would Moses want over anything? Just a break, right? Just like, can we just get to the promised land already? Like seriously. And we know later that Moses actually never ended up going to the promised land, but can you imagine Moses saying, I just want the promised land. I wanna have a home. I'm tired of leading these people. We know that he was tired of leading these people. And yet he said, Lord, I don't want the blessings if you're not with me. I don't want the promised land if you're not gonna go with me. Moses desired the presence of God more than the promises and the things that God could give him. I don't know about you, but I want to become a disciple like that. That if God promised me all of these things, and he said, you can have whatever you want, but I'm not gonna be with you. I want to be able to say, then then no, of course I don't want this stuff. I don't want the blessings, I don't want the promises, I don't want the ease, I don't want the comfort. What I want, God, is I want you. Moses was seeking the presence of God. Are we becoming disciples like that, like Moses, who's living by faith, who's saying, God, I, fine, on the, fine on the promises and the blessings, you know what, I'll actually die in the wilderness, but as long as you're with me, I'm okay. Moses sought the presence of God. Next passage, 2 Chronicles 14. 2 Chronicles 14, King Asa. King Asa, and we're just gonna dive right in and start reading. King Asa did, uh, 2 Chronicles 14, verse two, did what was good and right in the sight of the Lord his God. He removed, this is what King Asa did, he removed the pagan altars, he removed the high places, he shattered their sacred pillars, he chopped down their Asherah poles, he told the people of Judah to do what? To seek the Lord, God of their ancestors. And then later he says, the land is still ours because why? Because we sought the Lord our God. We sought him and he gave us rest on every side. So the, the reign of King Asa, he didn't see war for like 34, 35 years or something like that. And it's because, according to him, it's because they did what? They sought the Lord. They removed the sin and the idols in their lives and they sought the Lord and sought him only. Later, a prophet named Azariah comes up to Asa and he says this, Next slide. The Lord is with you when you are with him. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you abandon him, he will abandon you. If you seek the Lord, he will be found. If we seek the presence of God, he will be found. But if we abandon him, if we look to the forbidden fruit, if we 
if our eyes are drawn down to idols, if we let sin take root in our hearts, if we ignore the promptings of the Holy Spirit, the Lord's presence will not be with us. I'm not saying this is a promise for us and this is spoken to us. This is by Azariah to Asa, but the principle is the same. When we seek God, he is found. And when we don't, he is not. Later, Asa did not seek God and he actually sought his own military strength and some, some um, political alliances that he made and eventually he saw war and because he saw war, he died and all the, everything kind of went away from Asa. The point is this, God is continually looking for people who are seeking him. It says that in 2 Chronicles 16, 9. It says the eyes of the Lord roam to and fro on the earth looking for those whose hearts are seeking the Lord. I wanna be a disciple like Asa. Oh, by the way, also at the end, Asa made the entire land of Judah sign a covenant. This is crazy a covenant to seek the Lord. And he said, if you break this covenant and you don't seek the Lord, you'll be put to death. So, oh, by the way, we're uh, implementing a new covenant at AGC that if you uh, don't seek the Lord, no, I'm just kidding. It's, it's intense, it's insane. What Asa is doing is he is saying, we are gonna seek the Lord at all costs, no matter what. Eventually, he did not do that, and he died because of it. But the, pro- the, th- the process is the same. The goal is the same. The aim is the same. The vision is the same. Guys, seek the presence of God at all costs, whatever it takes. So that's 2 Chronicles 14, 15, and 16. Next is the Psalms. There were way too many Psalms to talk about for seeking the presence of God. It's like a ton of Psalms talk about it, but here's a few of them. Psalm 1611 says this, you reveal the path of life to me in your presence is abundant joy, at your right hand are eternal pleasures. Psalm 17 verse 15 says this, but I will see your face in righteousness. When I awake, I'll be satisfied with your presence, with your face. Can we say that about us? Are we satisfied with the presence of God? A few weeks ago, Tom taught on Psalm 84. Better is one day in your courts, Lord, than a thousand elsewhere. Well, who's in the courts of, of, of the temple of God? God is. In other words, I would rather spend one day in God's presence than a thousand elsewhere. Are we becoming people who can start to say that? God, I would rather spend one minute in your presence than a million elsewhere. And then finally, what this kind of the theme verse for presence is, is Psalm 105.4. Seek his face, presence, seek his face continually. Seek the Lord in his strength, seek his presence continually. Can we become, are we becoming disciples who are seeking the presence of God? That's the Psalms. Finally, we're getting to the New Testament. You guys still with me? Yeah, good. We're getting to the New Testament. John 1, so much could be said about this. In fact, John Calvin said that he could spend the rest of his life in the first four verses of John 1, which was, that's, that's saying something. John 1 is just riffing on all of these themes of the presence of God and who is God and the Son and the Word and the God made man, etc. But it says this in John 1. Um, I have to turn to it first. Oh, it's on the screen. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Then it skips a few verses down to John 1, verse 14. The word, Jesus, became flesh and dwelt among us. The word dwelt there in the Greek is the word for tabernacle, 
tabernacle. It's the verb, tabernacled. So the word became flesh and tabernacled among us. Well, why is that significant? Well, what was the tabernacle? In the wilderness wanderings, it was the presence of God. The presence of God with his people in the wilderness eventually turned into the temple. The presence of God filled the temple. That's where God was. Now, John is saying that this word, which was in the beginning, Genesis 1-1, God said, the word that was in the beginning actually became the presence of God in our midst. He dwelt among us. We observed his glory, the glory as the one and only son from the Father. Then uh, later in verse 20, uh, uh, verse 18, it says, no one has ever seen God. Nobody's ever seen him. But the one and only son who is himself God and is at the Father's side, he has revealed him. In other words, what is John saying here? If you have seen Jesus, you have seen God. Who is the presence of God? What is the presence of God? Jesus, the son of God. God made man living among us. And then what happened when Jesus ascended? He said, hey, I'm actually gonna send you my presence and it's better that I send you my spirit than for me to be with you in person. And what happened next too? The presence of God, the spirit of God came upon his people. So where is the presence of God now? It's in you and I who claim to call Jesus as Lord. Where is the presence of God? Now I'm not saying we seek each other, like we still seek, we seek God. But where is the presence of God? God is in Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's the presence of God. There are a few passages in the New Testament. You can go, you can get off this slide. There are a few other passages in the New Testament that Paul writes, that when Paul writes, it's kind of like, really, that's like a little, a little weird. The, the one of them is this phrase, pray without ceasing. Actually, it's this verse, pray without ceasing. 1 Thessalonians 5, 17. Simple verse, very straightforward, right? But when I read that, I'm like, pray without ceasing. What does that mean? Does that mean I like, can't talk to people? Because it's like, hey, sorry, I'm praying right now. I can't talk to you because I'm talking to God. No, no, no. Scholars and the history of interpretation all unanimously agree that what this verse means and others like it is that pray without ceasing means that you are in a constant awareness of the presence of God. The, the, the scholars are unanimous in this interpretation. Pray without ceasing doesn't mean that you're always folding your hands, or opening your hands, sorry, and closing your eyes and saying, you know, dear Jesus. Praying without ceasing is a constant awareness of the presence of God. It's what A.W. Tozer calls a constant conscious communion. That was his aim in life. And at the end of his life, he said that he was able to do that. Constantly be in conscious communion with the one in and through whom we live and move and have our being. It's what Brother Lawrence calls practicing the presence of God in everything that we do. That's the goal. It's what New Testament writers call union with God, constantly being with him, walking with him. The ideals become more and more realized in our lives when we seek the presence of God. Finally, last passage. We're almost there. Revelation 21, verse three. This is the, John the visionary. Uh, he's written a lot up to this point, and we're kind of looking at this out of context, but oh well. Revelation 21 verse three says this. This is the new heavens and the new earth. Then I heard a loud voice from the throne. Look, God's dwelling is with humanity and he will live with them. 
they will be his people and God himself will be with them and will be their God. What does this sound like? This sounds like Genesis one and two. The end is like the beginning. God with his people in perfect presence. Then later in verses 22 and 23, John says this, I didn't see a temple in it, it being the new city. I didn't see a temple. Remember, what's the temple? It's the presence of God. It's where God lived. I didn't see a temple in it because the Lord, God, the Almighty, and the Lamb are its temple. The city doesn't need a sun or a moon to shine on it because the glory of God illuminates it and its lamp is the Lamb. In other words, what is our end? What is our destiny? Like actually, what is our future? Being in the presence of God forever to live with him. That's our destiny, that's our future. So what do we need to do now is what we need to do now is live a life that's constantly seeking the presence of God, seeking the face of God so that when we see him in glory, we recognize him and he recognizes us and we run to him. And he says, well done, seeking the presence of God, that's what we want to become as disciples. Now, how on earth do we seek the presence of God? What does that mean? Does that mean I lift up this thing and I look under it? It's got under there, it's got under this rock. The, uh, um, this is a process. So us at Ankeny Gospel Church, we are constantly going to be learning together what does it mean to seek the presence of God? Let's seek the presence of God together. How do we do it? Here's a few things, personally and corporately. First, how do we seek the presence of God personally? Prayer. Get into the quiet place. Close the door behind you and pray. Bible study. I put study there. I didn't put reading there. Anybody can read the Bible. But it's, it's, it's seeking the presence of God is studying the Bible. Silence and solitude. What Jesus did all the time. Jesus went alone by himself to pray. Jesus went alone by himself to be alone in solitude and in silence. What does it look like to seek the presence of God? Those are just a few, I'm like talking at a 30,000 foot view right now. Those are just a few things that we can do to seek the presence of God personally. Corporately, us at AGC, how do we seek the presence of God? Guess what? Prayer. Every single time we pray, what are we doing? We're talking to God. How do you talk to somebody? Face to face. Who do we talk through? Jesus, the mediator. There's one mediator between God and man, Jesus, the man, Jesus Christ. In whom do we have the power to pray? The Holy Spirit who is speaking for us. He's actually praying for us things that we don't even know. Prayer is constantly seeking the presence of God. It's more than just a nice little thing that we do for transitions. We are actually talking to God when we pray. Worship services, when we sing, we seek the presence of God uh, through scripture, through singing, through prayer, through communion. Small groups, our small groups are gonna implement a time excuse me, where we seek the presence of God together, whether that's 10 minutes of just silence and we sit and we open up the Bible and we just, we just listen to the Lord, whether it's time of prayer, whether it's time of scripture memory, whatever we do, we are gonna be seeking the presence of God together. And the prayer room, guys, every Wednesday at noon, we have a prayer room that is open. All it is is just a time set aside for us to just seek God, seek him in prayer, seek him in scripture. Seek him in everything that we do so that we can become people who are filled with the presence of God, are formed in the image of Jesus and who live on mission 
for the renewal of our city. So our goal, our vision for you, member of AGC, members of AGC, this is our goal, this is our vision, is to become disciples of presence, formation, and mission, who seek the presence of God, are formed into the image of Jesus, and who live on mission for the renewal of our city. Let's pray. Thanks again for listening, and we pray this was a blessing to you. If you have any questions or comments about what you heard, our email is info at or you can find us on social media at Gospel. Thank you.